Well, g'day everyone and welcome to Life in the Peloton. It's Giro time. This week, I caught up with former teammate of mine, Joe Dombrowski. He's just finishing off his preparations before he heads off to Hungary to start his seventh Giro. The Italian race is a really special race to be part of and Joe is a real Giro specialist. We rode the race together in 2018 and even then I noticed that Joe is a real conventional Giro rider. You're probably wondering what that actually means. He's a former winner of the under 23 baby Giro. He's built for the mountains and he actually loves it when it goes uphill right at the start when the gun goes. Uphill starts, something I wasn't good at, something the Giro loves to put in. And in 2021, after nearly 10 years of trying, he finally became a stage winner. He's a 30-year-old American. He started his career with Team Sky for two years. He went to Cannondale, rode there for five years before it changed into EF. The last two years, he was on UAE Emirates, and now he's on Astana. Now, we talk a little bit about the Baby Giro, the under-23 amateur Giro race in this podcast and Joe Dombrowski is the winner of that race and I thought it's quite significant to set up what that means. The baby Giro, when you win this race, people are looking at you in Italy thinking you're a potential winner. You go on to race the senior ranks and it's not really the case. It takes a long time to find your straps. So I thought that's quite interesting talking to Joe about that and why it has also taken him that long to find success in the race. Because coming out of the amateurs, winning the Baby Giro, people are thinking, yeah, here's our next potential winner. But yeah, he is still a long way from that. It's interesting to understand that dynamic of the amateurs aren't the same as the pros. And the Baby Giro, as significant as it is, it does not necessarily mean you're going to go on to win the Giro de l'Italia. But one thing I love about the Giro, and throughout the month of May, there's one color that dominates the men's professional peloton in Italy. The color pink I'm talking about, which is a nod to the Gazetta della Sport newspaper, which actually founded the race in 1909, the Giro's Migla Rosa. It's a sign to the newspaper, which is printed on this iconic pink paper. Can you believe it? A newspaper that's pink. And therefore, no other trade team colors can clash with the iconic leader's pink jersey. Of course, this means EF Pro Cycling's regular race kit is completely off limits at the Giro d'Italia. But as we've already seen the last two years, this just gives Rafa a chance to create some of the most outrageous and awesome changeout kits we have ever seen. We all remember 2020, the Rafa EF Palace collaboration kit. I'm talking about the Ducks, that kit that just exploded the Peloton. And of course, the 2021 Quadroscopic kit designed to celebrate people from different backgrounds and nations coming together to pursue a common goal. There was not one drop of pink in that kit, yet there was every other color in the rainbow. 2022, I don't know. I don't have the scoop anymore. The kit is about to drop, the new changeout kit. I'm hoping to be able to get my hands on some of that, but usually it sells out or they don't even offer it. I love that about Rafa. They get this chance to create this awesome kit. Guys, I'm not going to go any longer. This is an awesome Giro episode. We get into this year's Giro as well. We unpack what Joe's looking forward to, what he's going to attack. Plus, we hear about the history of the Giro, like I said. Guys, sit back. This is a great episode. Well, 
Let's get cracking here. I'm talking to my old teammate and actually um, already frequent, not frequent, sorry, already guest on Life in the Peloton many years ago, Joe Dombrowski. Welcome back to the pod, mate. Thanks. It feels like it was not so long ago, actually. It doesn't feel like that long ago that we saw each other, but I think the last time we really saw each other might have been a Giro, which would have been a few years ago, and we would have been just sort of passing by each other. Um, so, well, I would mm. have been suffering, and you would have been slowly moving away to the front. <laughs> but, you know, it's like when you're a Neopro, everyone's like, oh, make sure you enjoy it, time goes fast, blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, it's like some 35-year-old guy saying it, and you're like, okay, whatever, old man. But then... The seasons tick by pretty quick, don't they? Well, let's talk about that. Your 10th year pro, um, which I found, I couldn't believe it. I was sort of like, Joe's already 10 year pro because I sort of see you as that guy coming through. Um, But you're well established Mm. and I've seen that now with the way you're riding the last few years. If people don't know, you got to go back and check out our episode we did in 2018, My Giro, My Team, Joe Dombrowski, because we go a little bit more into your history, which we're not going to do today. You know, you've come from a mountain bike past you start on a mountain bike you did cyclocross and then you made your ranks through the road what i want to jump straight to is the baby giro and we did speak about this on the last pod but i want to bring it up again because you're a baby giro winner i think it's a really pinnacle race for under 23s it's an amateur stage race created in 1970 um it's the most important amateur italian race in the calendar year and it's essentially a mini giro d'italia you know, they've got mm. winners there like Pitcock, Sivakov, Danilo, De Luca won it, Gilberto Simone, Pantani, Francesco Moza, and Joe Dombrowski. So it sets it up. You know, these mm. are the guys. But what I want to ask you is, tell me a little bit about this race. What is it like? How many stages is there? What's pinnacle about this baby Giro? So I don't know if it's changed since when I did it, but when I did it, uh, there was actually... It was the first time I had done a stage race with a rest day. Mm. Um, So I think it was 10 stages because I believe the rule is more than nine. You have to have a rest day. Right. Um, So because, you know, in the Grand Tours, a lot of times we do nine days and then we stop. And and I think you can't do 10 consecutive days without a rest day per the UCI rules. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. So, you know, at that time, it felt so long. It's kind of like yeah. when you do your first Grand Tour, like I, my first Grand Tour was the Vuelta in 2015 and you get to, you know, halfway through the second week and you're like, how is this even possible? <laughs> like how, how can we, how can we continue? Yeah. Uh, and I think some of it is getting sort of accustomed to that level of fatigue because you know how it is the third week of a Grand Tour, you're, you're pretty mm. tired and it's kind of like you almost need to learn what that feels like uh and and i i distinctly remember that the baby giro in that you know it's not three weeks but at 20 years old you know maybe you're not doing the same volume you are as a world tour rider and it's it's it felt really long Mm. to me with and there was a lot of big stages like uh the last uh big mountain stage we finished on the gavia and i think we did like 5200 meters of climbing that's a lot that's ridiculous and yeah I mean, that's that's like a real Giro stage. That's like a real Giro stage. And, and like you said, it, 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 you're not used to it. So it's all relative. And I did the same thing for me when I did Tour de l'Avenir. It was uncharted mm. waters. And the racing was more intense too because everyone's in prime condition. And it's uncharted waters. And the weird thing is when you go back then to smaller races, it feels quite short. You're like, oh my God, this would be like, you know, only the fifth day of l'Avenir. I always think, or, you know, when I did Paris-Nice too, I was like going back. And then when I did my first Grand Tour, it was like, 
Paris-Nice is easy now, but it's weird how the Giro, every year you come back to it, you don't think, oh, it's easy because I've done one. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose like when you're kind of at the, the pinnacle of the sport in a given type of race, whether it's, you know, Roubaix or Flanders or the Giro or Tour, the level's always high. Mm. Uh, so it's, there's never that feeling of like you're easing off a bit, but it's kind of like you say, like now if you go from uh, a Grand Tour to like a, a 2.1, mm. you know, level stage race, you can see that it's it's not the same. And in general, I think the level, and, and you can probably speak to this as well, like I think in the last four or five years, the level has like continually gone up and up. Yeah. Also, what I've noticed is that I actually feel that the the style of racing in the world tour is actually going more back to kind of like junior style racing. Yeah. As to say, I mean, now it sometimes it takes 80 or 90K for the break to go. It's like nonstop attacking. It's fast all day. It's not this kind of like controlled. I, I have the feeling that, you know, like the, the pro races before were almost like a bit more gentleman's agreement mm. in some regards. But I suppose looping back to, you know, Baby Giro, in addition to it being very long, it was just like a chaotic race, which, you know, in the amateur ranks, it is just more chaotic because you don't necessarily have a team to control. If there is a strong team, uh, they may not have a clearly defined leader. Even if there is a clearly defined leader, it's like when you're amateurs, it's like no one's getting paid. So it's not that like, okay, I'm happy to do my job and work for this yeah. guy. You're like, I also want to turn pro. So it's all like a little bit like, oh, I'll kind of work for this guy, but I'll kind of just also save a bit for myself. What about the vibe? You know, like, because that was one thing I noticed when I did Tour de l'Avenir, and I think it's the same with the Baby Giro. It's the same organization. So even the little stuff makes it feel pro, like the the arrow signs that are pointing the way to the PPO or the, you know, the way of the direction of the race or the booklet you get is really professional and you look through it and the mountain, you know, the the altitude of the mountain, you know, you're like, oh, this is so cool. This is exactly like the Giro. And all this stuff makes it feel yeah. Pro for me that was the the little bits. It wasn't the racing per se. It's all the little bits. Even the organisation car was the ASO car in um, Lavinia. I'm not going to only compare to Lavinia because I never did the Baby Giro. So all those little things for me made it feel way better because I think the racing was probably just as hard as any other race. But just like you said, the little things they do made it way cooler. Yeah, and I I remember because I did Tour de Lavinia once and also the baby Giro once as an amateur and i remember in both of them i had that feeling of like this is the big stage and mm. it's like you say like even when you get the race book and the detail on the climbs and the maps and you know the the signs on the side of the road you're like wow this is like what i watch on tv you know yeah. and now i suppose i'm a bit desensitized to it it's like okay whatever it's a race book but at that time you're like Okay, I've arrived. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. I think it, I think that's one of the coolest bits about it. Let's let's talk about the actual Giro now because we're right on the eve of the Giro. You're just about to head off to it. And what I want to ask and why I want to start with the baby Giro again is I think, and I could be wrong, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you love the Giro, I think, for many reasons because it does suit you. You had that success early, but the Giro, in many sense, suits climbers. There's, there's a lot of climbing involved, a lot of steep climbs you're a pure climber and you've excelled and you've really sort of grown in that race, especially in the last few years, once you started to find your legs in the peloton. Did that love for the Giro sort of start back with the baby Giro, you know, winning that and just sort of going, you know, this is my race. When you came to the pros, you sort of looked forward to it every year? I think so. You know, it's like 
I, I think an element of like, it's where I had an early success. So you kind of carry that forward. I think also an element of, as you say, the, the kind of rhythm of each race is a little bit different. You have this continuity year to year within a given race in that kind of rhythm. And the way the Giro is raced, um, and as you say, the long climbs, steep climbs, um, you know, kind of high alpine stages, I always felt that it was something that suited me as opposed to like, if you, if you kind of contrast that to the Vuelta, the Vuelta's typically like often will start on a bigger road, like a, a highway. It's really fast. And then a lot of times the finish, it's an uphill finish, but it, it can be only two, three, four K and really steep. And it suits more of an explosive rider, mm. which I, I mean, I like the Vuelta, but I would say it's less suited to my characteristics. And yeah, I mean, in addition to the race itself, I just think that I like the kind of aura around the race both you know the fans are great mm. i think you know i've raced the giro and the vuelta a number of times i've never done the tour but from what i can see i feel that i'm sure some people would disagree with me on this but i think that the cycling fan base in italy is one of the most knowledgeable if not the most knowledgeable and maybe the most passionate mm. i mean you have certain you have certain subcult like i don't want to say subcultures but you have certain areas like the basque country or flanders where cycling is really alive and well and people love it but also i think the country yeah 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 and like i mean particular if if i were to single out any demographic like old italian men just love cycling yeah but I even to, to even go further with that, this is a question I wanted to ask you. This is the the thing that everyone says, especially the Giro preach this. It's the most beautiful race of the season. But in many times you're in the bunch and you're thinking of that comment and you're in some epic climb getting rained on and you're tired and you think, who the hell said this is the most beautiful race? But it's when you get back to the hotel and it's that feeling you get from the staff, the local staff who probably haven't mm. even seen the race that welcoming feel, welcome, here comes the the warriors, you know, from the Giro, you get this, you sort of get this rock star feel, but it's a bit more humble. It's a bit more wanting yeah. to sort of service you, bring you nice food. It's They don't sort of fluff around you. It's a real welcoming feel. And when you've had these tough days, I always remember leaving Italy thinking, why didn't I live in Italy my whole career? This is such a stupid mm. move. This is a place for cycling. But of course, you know, training is another thing. On the racing side, this is that culture we're talking about. When you're in the, at the start, you see it. And like you said, you ride past and you see an old bloke smoking a cigarello on the side of the road, drinking his grappa, you know, nine in the morning, just watching the race. And you think, ah, oh, this is this is the culture of cycling, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, um, obviously people love the Tour de France, right? But I've thought, and again, I, I could be wrong on this and it's, it's merely an opinion, but I always have thought of the tour a little bit like uh, the Super Bowl in America. Mm. Like, you know, I, I don't really care about American football. I don't follow it. But when I'm in the States, when the Super Bowl is going on, I've always watched, just like all my friends always watch. And it's normal that like you go to a Super Bowl party and whatever. And it's kind of like you watch just because it's the Super Bowl. Like you have to watch, you know, as to say, like, I feel that the tour has like this this bigger following um, because, okay, it is the biggest race on the calendar, but I feel that the the Giro has more like a, a passionate following as to say, maybe the Giro is, if I were to compare it like in a, in a American sporting mindset, 
maybe the tour is more like the Super Bowl mm. and What's the, uh, the Giro is more like college football. Okay. It's more, yeah. Because if you really follow college football, you're like more of a hardcore hardcore yeah. football fan, I think. Nice analogy. Now, this is, a, this is a thing that everyone says, you know, everyone wants to do the tour, but I'm talking about riders now. This is the general feel in the peloton. Everyone wants to do the tour. They want it on their Palmares. Whether they want to do it or not, you know, they just want to tick it off. I know there's a few mm. that actually want to race the race, but everyone loves <laughs> to do the Giro. And I find that comment quite hard because it is actually brutally harder. Me also never having ridden the tour, I can only go off what people say. Tell me why you think the Giro is actually a brutally hard race. Not apart from, you know, of course the parkour, but tell me about all the other stuff. Tell me about a day in the life of the Giro. Things that people don't actually get to see once they turn the TV on and then switch it off once they cross the line. Uh, you you mentioned the parkour. Obviously, that's one of the the biggest elements is that, you know, particularly in the last week, you tend to have really a lot of very demanding mountain stages. And the climbs, I think, are harder than what you see, for example, in the tour. Typically, you know, if you think like a Mortirolo, that sort of type of climb, I mean, it's hard. Also, the weather can, I mean, it can be, I've ridden the Giro before where, I think I wore a rain jacket for 15 minutes in the whole race. Mm. Uh, but I've also ridden the Giro where I think I've worn a rain jacket 15 days of the race. Yeah. So it, it can be, um, the weather can be pretty touch and go. And, you know, you get into the mountains and it's it, for a lot of the high, high Alpine uh, stages, you know, late May at 2000 meters is still a little bit iffy. And if you remember, like I, I didn't, think i didn't race the giro that year it was before my first grand tour but if you remember was it the year quintana won and there was this whole debacle yeah. over like the neutralized descent that was maybe neutralized or not and so yada, one yada, but like rigo rigo was leading and and this yeah he took advantage of that it was supposed to be between the riders gentlemen agreement let's just cruise down this right. hill yeah but i mean you literally had riders like getting in cars trying to get warm and it's like it's pretty savage and that's just not a one-off. Like, and the thing is, when you talk about these climbs, one thing that I found very tough about the Giro is you might have an epic stage. They're typically very long stages, longer than any other Grand Tour. A lot of stages over 200. But what a lot of people don't see is the Giro like to tack on like about 30 or 40K getting down mountains. And you get to the bottom of the mountain after you've finished. And it's from there, they just slip in another 20 to where the bus park is. And you're sort of losing your mind at yeah. this point. You're like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm on my hands and knees. And I've got to ride 20K to the bus now. When you get in that bus, suddenly you, you then discover, oh, by the way, boys, it's three hours to the hotel. And that is sort of yeah. the little straw that breaks the camel's back. Sometimes can be the thing that pushes you over the edge, isn't it? Well, do you remember uh, 2020, there was the whole polemic over mm. the rider protest uh, it was in the last week. I'm forgetting the stage, but we we Florida were meant stage to go past like or twenty or something. It was right maybe there, stage nineteen, yeah. And essentially, the riders were like, "We're not doing this. Uh, make the short stage shorter." Because essentially, all the last week, it was stages, you know, over 200k with an hour or two hours transfer before and after the stage. Uh, and you know, in the middle of this long last week there was this i don't remember it but i think it was like 235k flat stage in the rain and you know also you remember 2020 it was kind yeah. of a taxing year for everyone mentally 
And, you know, a lot of us, it's like, is the team going to be around? Are we going to get paid? Are we even going to have races this year? And then finally, like all the races got compressed into this kind of September, October period. But, you know, I, I think you saw there was, there was a lot of pushback from RCS and from the organizer on kind of the, the actions of the riders. But I think you also just saw riders kind of at their wits end. And I remember thinking like some of these stages, I was waking up like 6.30 in the morning to eat breakfast because the transfer and then the stage and then the transfer after was so long. And then you would eat dinner at 11 o'clock at night while having done a six hour stage. It's like, there's not one minute of the day where you can just relax, Thanks. you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the funny thing I, I try to think about and I was trying to compare it to something. I was like, for me, it's a little bit like Paris-Roubaix, if you can understand that. It's a race that you hate but love at the same time. In the moment, you're hating this race, but as soon as you conquer it, as soon as you complete it, whether you get a result there or whether you just literally get through the 21 days or whether you make it to the velodrome in Roubaix, as soon as you finish, you want to go back the next year. I don't know what it is about these two races. The Giro is the same thing. I remember 218, we did it together. This is a brutally hard Giro. I remember hands and knees getting across the line and I was thinking, literally five minutes before that, I'm never doing this race again. And I think 30 minutes later in the bus, I was like, yeah, I wonder what about the Giro next year? I'm like, what is wrong with me? I just was completely yeah. defeated this race. Yeah. Let's talk about Giro 2022 right around the corner now. Um, you're just about to head off. Let's just run through the stages because it runs up in Budapest, Hungary. You've got three stages up there and stage two's um, an individual time trial, which is a bit different. Stage four, you're going to go straight into Sicily and you're going to do Mount Etna. Um, do you know much about the parkour yourself? Um, so I've looked uh, sort of a somewhat of an overview in general. Um, so I have a, a reasonable idea of the stages. I haven't looked in like great detail. I would say before a Grand Tour, I tend to kind of go crazy into studying every stage. Let me give you a little little... Um, look that I had a look at. I just picked out the ridiculous stuff. Stage nine, you're heading to Blockhouse. This is like you said, before the first rest day, that's a 13.7K climb at 8.5%. The stage is four, four and a half thousand meters of climbing just to wrap up the first week. The next thing I picked out was stage 16, the Motorola. As soon as I see that climb, I'm laughing because that thing is an absolute prick of a, a climb. And that yeah. day, you got five and a half thousand meters of climbing, 200K. Jump forward yeah. to stage 20. They always love putting a doozy in stage 20. Four and a half thousand meters of climbing over 168K. And then you got to finish stage 21 with an individual individual time trial. Um, that stuff I can imagine for you doesn't really scare you because you've actually got a really good team, yourself included. Um, it looks like Nibali is on the start list as well. Two times Giro winner, seven times stage winner. The Shark, you know, the 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 god in Italy. You've got Della Cruz, you've got Lopez. Mate, what is, with that parkour in mind, what are you thinking with your team and just your general feeling about the race now? I think we have a really strong team going to the Giro. Mm. Uh, I, I Admittedly, I think at the start, you know, maybe the results haven't totally been there the last couple of months, but it's been a little bit of a complicated year. Um, you know, a lot of riders have been sick early in the year and injuries and whatever. But I think, you know, we just did Tour of Alps last week. Um, my feeling there was overall pretty good. I think Lopez was looking really good. He won a stage. I think Nibali will come good. 
And I think we have a good kind of balanced team for GC, but also for kind of, I mean, we don't have uh, anything in the way of sprinting capability, but for GC and then also, you know, depending on how the GC plays out, there may also be room for, for stages like, you know, someone like myself, like in a mountain stage mm. where you have an opportunity to try and win a stage. What about you thinking back to um, last year, solo victory, your first victory in, well, your first victory really in, in Europe um, since that baby Giro. And it was an amazing victory. You you went away from DeMarchi, uh, who is an Italian rider, a force to be reckoned with, really. Tell me about that victory last year and what that meant to you. Yeah, it was nice. It's like, you know, I'm often more of a rider that excels like later in the race in the third week when people are more tired. And on the paper, I probably wouldn't have expected that sort of outcome so early on, but it was, you know, I was feeling good and really just in a pretty amazing day. It was such a roller coaster of a first week in that, you know, I, I won, won the stage on stage four and then look, I was already starting to look forward, you know, to the later part of that week. Cause I was like, well, I feel that, that I'm climbing really well. I'm on, I'm on in good shape. Um, and there was a uphill finish stage six and it was like DeMarc, I was second overall DeMarkey had the Jersey, but it wasn't so big of a gap, like 15 seconds. And I, I th- thought, hmm. you know, I think in a couple of days, there's a really good chance I'm going to take the pink Jersey. And then stage five, the day after I won, uh, we had a finish coming into might've been Chesonautico, you know, one of these kind of Adriatic coastal towns. And as you know, with beach towns, there's, you know, the boardwalk, there's bike paths, there's all sorts of stuff in the road. Um, I probably was being more aggressive, trying to stay in the front with this in my mind, like, look, you've got a great chance to to be wearing the pink jersey in the Giro in a couple of days. Like, don't hmm. miss out on a time split with something stupid in a sprint, you know? So up there fighting and uh, just smacked a, a traffic island <laughs> at 60 Ks an hour and uh, came away with, luckily nothing broken, but had a concussion and it was just not possible to continue. But it's almost, uh, analogous to kind of how the Giro is as a race itself in that you have these highs and lows and it's so un. I I feel that in general, you see more unpredictable results in the Giro than Mm. in, uh, for example, the tour, you know, Mm. you don't see the same level of control. Anything can happen on any given day. You kind of have to be ready for anything at any time. And yeah, I mean, if you could sign on the paper before it happened, like, are you willing to accept this crash, but win the stage the day before? Like you would probably say yes. Oh yeah. So it, it, in a way you're like, ah, oh, I feel so unlucky. Like I could have been in the pink jersey or I could have done a, maybe this year, you know, I was already ahead. Maybe I could do a great GC or whatever. Um, but you know, as you know, like it's people say, oh, that's cycling, but it's, it's true. It's like, there's so many things that can, that can go wrong or can go awry in, in, in our sport. And, uh, I guess in the end, I was lucky to kind of come away with something good out of it before having a bit of a setback. Well, yeah, tell me, because the year before, things were really starting to pick up. There's your last year with EF. Yes, two years before, sorry. Um, your 12th mm. place in the Giro. And like, that is a result to be proud of, actually, in such a race. Um, really starting to show 
your full potential, I think, after that baby Giro victory. It's like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. This is actually what I'm meant mm. to do. You're starting to find your straps because everyone forgets it's pretty hard stepping into the world tour, whether that's the physical ability or whether that's just finding your place in the mm-hmm. race or just getting used to the load. And you often see it after whatever it is, three, four, five years, guys hitting their straps where they should be mm. or they fall away and you don't see them in the world tour anymore. So that's what I sort of saw with you in that 12th place. I was like, wow, it wasn't a surprise for me knowing your past and actually having ridden with you and seeing that stuff that no one sees. You know, for instance, riding from the back to the front on a climb and actually being in the front group, you're like, that's incredible. No one's even going to be able to see that. But finally, when you got your stuff together, Mm -hmm. that 12th place, and like you said, 2021 was shaping up to be that. You were close to the pink jersey. Um, I guess in saying all that stuff, looking to this year... Does it give you a lot of confidence now coming forward with the Giro with such a team like this, whether you're going to have a working role that you know that you're going to be out, you've got the legs to do it, you've got the confidence, but if things turn in your way, do you have the confidence to back it up now? You know, not obviously the physical ability, you know that, but now you've actually got the confidence, you know, like, hey, I've been up the front, I know what to do. Yeah, I think so. Um, as you say, it's like, you know, with the team we have, it's, it's not that I go to the race with like a free role or as a leader or anything like that. But even with clearly defined leaders, you know the story of a grand tour, how there's a lot of storylines that develop within the race. And these doors and opportunities sort of open that maybe wouldn't open in the course of a one-week race. You know, the the breakaways have more kind of leniency. You can take more time. Um, You know, the bunch gets more tired and inevitably some days they just say, okay, you know, we, we can't continue on like this, let the break go or whatever. So while I think, you know, with Nibali and Lopez, it'll be for me a role of being there to support them. As you say, you get this experience in the last few years and you build your confidence. And it's not only having the legs to be there, but also knowing that you can do it and knowing you can execute and staying calm. And, you know, it, as an example, even like the stage I won last year, there were other years where I was, you know, in this situation close to winning a stage where I was second or third on a stage. Sometimes, you know, maybe even I was the strongest mm. in 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 the end, but I would get antsy and I would work too much or I would I would just, you know, and like you start to get nervous and you're like, mm, maybe I need to like, what if we get caught or versus just being kind of like stone cold killer and, and composed, yeah. you know? Are you desperate? You're like, yeah. oh, I'm never going to get another chance like this. I've been fighting just to get in breaks all this week. I'm finally in a break and we're finally going to go to the line. You're sort of desperate. I need to yeah. make this work. But you come around the other way yeah. like, oh, you know what? I'll get in another break tomorrow if I need to. I'm not going to just ride this into yeah. the ground. And and I think that was something where like I feel that my – in the case of last year in the stage I won, I feel that the execution was really – you know, there were guys that chipped – chipped away earlier in the stage and I was happy to kind of stay content. I I knew that DeMarkey had a little bit of a gap on me in time from uh, the time trial. And I knew that like, essentially, if we came to the line close together, he was going to, obviously, if he won the stage, but also if he stayed close to me, he was going to take the pink jersey. And if you think, I don't, I think he's 34, 35 now. He's an Italian rider. I mean, to wear the Maglia Rosa in, in the Giro for an Italian rider like that, it's really like a feather in your cap for your career. 
So I then I was thinking like, okay, he's going to be more yeah. uh, keen to work than I need to be, you know? So use that to your advantage. And in the end, he took, he took the pink jersey, you know, like chapeau to him. Uh, and, and I think at the end of his career, he would say that was like one of the, the best days of my career. Uh, so did you let him have but, it you know, that day? Keep, you just go, oh, look, mate, I know what this means for you. I'm just going to gift it to you. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if you weren't Italian. No, for, for, <laughs> I'm for, kidding. For sure not, but for sure not. But, you know, like you can kind of have that yeah. in mind yeah, yeah. and know that it, it, because you see it from, like I said before, like there were times where, you know, I was second or third on, on stages and maybe um, too keen to kind of go too early or work too much or you, you're not composed, you know? Mm. And then in that situation, I was thinking, you know, what this could mean for him to take the pink jersey. It's like, mm. if you can play off of that and really just stay on his wheel and know that he, I mean, nine times out of, t- out of 10 in a breakaway like that on a stage like that, he's going to be one of the strongest guys. You know, he's won a number of Grand Tour stages. I felt that I had matured to the point that you can recognize that and stay calm and and play off of that. And of course, there's a chance anytime that you're um, more reluctant to kind of work or, or play aggressively that maybe the bunch catches you, maybe it's all for nothing, whatever. But what you what you kind of learn in time is that that's the risk you have to take if you want to win. You, essentially, you have to risk losing to win. And that's the maturity that you're, you're getting now um, or have. And that's what I wanted to talk about. The last three years, changing three teams, you know, um, you were at EF with with me um, or Gar- um, Cannondale as it was when you started there. Then you moved to UAE um, for a couple of years and now you're at Astana this year. For me... Was that the injection of energy and motivation or, you know, not motivation. I don't want to say you weren't motivated, but just a change in, in things that you needed to sort of take that next step. One, in maturity, but two, just to fire up your career. Like, tell me about that, this change in the last, it is three years, but it's a bit longer, four years now. Um, tell me about the change in those teams. Yeah, I think, as you say, it's like, Sometimes, you know, you need a little bit of a change of environment. It's like we, in terms of the stress that we have uh, and how it relates to performance, you know, it's sort of like a bell curve, I think. It's like you can be so stressed to the point that you can't perform because you, you're not you're not composed. But then you can also be too relaxed mm. as to say, like, you're not... You're not fear, I mean, you you're know not how fear of anything. You, you, you need that little bit of positive fear if that makes sense i need to perform i need to get out there and do it yeah if too much it's just like you feel defeated you know like god you know as you know having you know been pro for a long time it's like the the mental component is is huge right i mean obviously training hard and being fit is is a big part of it but sometimes it's also the head that decides Mm. whether the legs are good you know uh and I think for me, actually changing teams the last couple of times has been good in the sense that it's been a little bit of like a positive um, push. You know, even something as simple as when you come into a new team, you want to start well, you know, because yeah. not that cycling's full of snap judgments, but like, it's always like you're as good as your last race, you know? And when you come into a new environment, a new team, 
if you start well, then it's like more doors open to you. Mm. Maybe your race program's better. Maybe it's less likely that your race program's getting changed around at the last minute. So I think even something like that, like sometimes a change can be good. And then, okay, obviously if everything's working well and you're, you know, an example would be look at Valverde. Yeah. You know, like clearly everything is working quite well for him in his, in that team. You know, I think he's comfortable. It's probably fun for him because it's, it's very much a Spanish team. He's a Spanish rider. And if that works for him, then, you know, it's perfect. But, but sometimes not, not, I wouldn't say that I needed to change from EF, but I think when I look back on it now, because if I'm totally honest, when I initially went to UAE, I was like, hmm, how is this going to be? I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure if I'm really going to get on with this, you know? Um, but then when I got there, actually, it was it was really a good experience. And, and I have to say, it's a very good team. And, you know, if I hadn't kind of made that change and stepped out of, because like zone. I say, yeah. you know, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, you you rode an EF and particularly like for an Anglo and and really even more so for an American rider, it's very comfortable. Yeah, the same thing happened to me coming to EF. You know, I had the same environment in Green Edge. And for me, coming to EF was a push for me. I was able to sort of, you know, the the just the comments I got from the very beginning there, you know, I got asked for opinions and stuff. And I'm like, what are they asking me for? And I'm like, hang on, I do know stuff. I have been mm. pro for 10 years. Whereas, you know, I was in my old team. I was still that guy that came in there as a three-year-old pro. And, you know, I never really grew in their eyes. But in the new team, they're like, oh, you've been around for ages. You must have a good opinion. So... It did refresh me. Well, yeah, and I not there's no like animosity with your old team. No. Actually, you know, a lot of those people are good friends, and and you you see each other at the races, you talk, but sometimes you know you see that riders benefit from a change, and uh, yeah, in my case, I think it was it was good, and you know, you just get experience in different teams over the course of your career, and yeah. Lastly, mate. Because you're on the eve of the Giro and I know you've uh, got to get yourself going and pack bags, this is it. Tell me, what about you personally? What do you want out of this year's Giro? Um, it doesn't have to be results. Maybe it's a feeling. I know everyone's got that inner goal. It's what they use when they're out training, that you know, that vision. Oh, if I could just do this, this is what I'm focusing on. What's yours? Because I know everyone's going to be watching. Um, what are you feeling, mate? Well, I think um, given the team we have going to the race that I would like to kind of fulfill my role the best I can as a teammate, which for me, I think looks like, you know, really being there on the mountain, the mountain days when it's hard, when the group is small. And, you know, if Lopez or Vincenzo needs a jacket or a bottle, like you can get it. Uh, If you need to pull, you can pull kind of being present and and being there when it's like kind of that select group, um, you know, if there's 10 riders left or whatever, if you're still there, it's like, that's to me, you know, I get like satisfaction and I'm, it's not necessarily something that's a result on the paper, but I get this contentment out of like, I know that I did a good job. And then, you know, more on, on the personal side, if again, like, I don't know, you know, how the, the team tactics will play out and, and you, you don't know what sort of opportunities will arise, but if there's instances as last year where, you know, you have that freedom to, to, to go in the break, if you have a chance to win a stage, then 
I think even last year reinforces it even more. It's like, you know, sometimes you know how it is on the team bus. Sometimes the director's like, look, I want everybody in the break. The more we have in the break, the better. And sometimes when the riders are tired, it's like, ah, ah, yeah, I kind of want to be in the break, but I kind of don't, you know? And it's like, you know what? The way I see the racing going now, I think there's been a bit of an evolution where we ride fast all day. It's Mm. always fast. I think because of that, if you look at the Giro and the, particularly the Giro and the Vuelta last year, the number of times that the breakaway won the stage, it's incredible. Yeah, I think it's more than 50% of the time. So it's like, okay, if you take out sprint stages, which for sure I'm not going to win, if that's, you know, seven or eight stages, then if the breakaway's winning nine stages, it's like most of the time that it's not a for sure sprint, the breakaway's winning. And I think that is basically because we're riding so fast that at some point, you know, the key GC teams like your Ineos or your Jumbo, they're like, we can't afford to ride so hard all yeah. day, every day. We need to just let the break go. So then it becomes really a race of two races. Like what I realized in the Giro and also the Vuelta last year, because last year also I was close to winning a stage in the Vuelta. It's like, if if you want to win, unless you are, I would say there's five, more or less, five riders in the race that can win from the sprint, from a bunch sprint. Then I would say there's maybe 10 riders, but probably more like five Mm. and maybe even less on the really hard days that can win a mountaintop finish from the bunch. You know, we can count them on our hand. Everybody else, so that's, we're looking at like 10, 12 riders in the bunch in a bunch of 200. Everybody else, if you want to win. From the break. It's not on the, it's from the break. So, and, and I think that's becoming more and more common. So it's like, I just think, you know, obviously we're, you're not always in a position where you can go and the team dictates that and who the team has and their strategy. That's, that's everything. But if you have the opportunity, like go and take it because I can tell you that, you know, if you take that opportunity and it's not always going to pan out, nor will it pan out frequently. But if at the end of your career, you've got, you know, some stage wins and some grand tours and you were a good helper to the team, it's something nice, you know, yeah. and, and you're going to, you're going to remember that the rest of your life, those days. So it's like when the directors say, you know, we want you in the break, even though it's going to be a war and even though you're tired and it's raining and the weather shit and whatever, it's like, just think, I, I remember you, we had Juanma as yeah. a director, you know, and he's a great guy. Juanma Garata. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember but he would always tell us in the bus, like, guys, today, I really think the breakaway is going to go. And just remember that today, if you win, it will change your life. Yeah, mate, that's that's a re- so I, yeah, that's a really nice. It's point. what I think. Mm. Yeah, well, mate. Good. Um, good luck coming up. I want to see you up the road and I want to see those hands in the air. Yeah, it's let's get another stage win. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, man. Well, there we go. I know we're going to be watching out for Joe in this year's Giro d'Italia. It's going to be a great one. As always, the Giro, some epic climbs, some epic courses, and the GC's chock full of good contenders. I always look forward to watching the Giro. Riding it, mm, I don't know yet. I'm still on the edge of that because it is such a brutal race. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that preview from Joe and also just hearing a little bit about the love of the race. That's something that I think people can't quite understand this sort of love-hate relationship, this idea that it is the most beautiful race in the season. But why? Why is that? I hope we unpack that a little bit for you. Next week, I've got a talking look with Joe. So hang in till then. Of course, a massive thanks to Rafa, who is bringing this episode to you this year. These guys are making it happen. But of course, who are making that awesome kit we see on TV out there during the Giro. I can't wait to see the new kit that drops as well. Lara behind the scenes, who's helping me with the pod. And of course, Will Jones, who put this episode together for you. Guys, until then, thanks a lot for listening. Cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.